All right, so let's get into the message. Uh, Dan said, uh, I had to laugh when Dan told that story about Janice because inevitably, and I've been through a lot of graduations, at least one student in every class will get that diploma cover, and you'll, you'll see him or her go, and they'll walk right off the stage. So uh, Janice wasn't the only one who had that. Uh, uh, hers was unintentional, but sometimes we get, we get students who have a little more intentional fear. Is this thing really signed? And then when they see it is, all is good. Um, I told the senior class yesterday here, and I'm going to say the same message uh, this afternoon at the next graduation I'm doing. When you, when you graduate from high school, you never stop learning. You never stop growing, and that's never more true that, than in the 21st century. You never stop learning. You never stop growing. And I think that's not only true with the careers we choose and wherever we go to school, but it's especially true with our faith. We always have to be pursuing learning and growth. And that's where I want to lead into here this morning and for next week's message as well. Um, before the Mother's Day message, we had a, a four-part study on the mission and vision of the Whiting Christian Church. And I've come to believe over these last couple of months that my most important role in all of this, as the church prepares for a new senior leader, is to help Josh and our elders and our leaders continue to communicate a vision that was forged years ago for Whiting Christian Church. And that vision is to grow people in their faith in Jesus Christ. And like all solid mission statements, and I think this is a wonderful mission statement, it has very clear verbs. We're going to do this by inviting we're going to do this by sharing, and we're going to do this by serving. And when I think about the church, whether it is this church or any other church, I believe that it is very clear what the church is called to do and what the church is called to be. Number one, the church is called, first and foremost, to be a house of prayer and worship. That's why it exists. It's also called to proclaim the good news that Jesus Christ took the sins of this world, the sins for you and me, he took them to the cross, and out of a love for us, a love that we can't even comprehend, God comes to earth through Jesus Christ. Jesus dies an atoning death on that cross, and he rises from the grave. He conquers death for all who call him Lord and Savior. That's why the church exists. And I think it's also true that the church exists because we're called to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. And we are to follow his teachings and we are to lead by the example of his teachings in our daily lives. So this is the charge that Jesus left when he ascended into heaven. That his followers seek the ends of the earth to proclaim his name and live by his example. And here's what I've learned, and I'm sure you can all agree. It's a lot easier to proclaim faith with words than it is to sometimes live them by our actions, isn't it? And so we want to really focus on the actions. We want to focus on what it means to have a deepening and growing faith. And so to dovetail on those ideas and for the mission of this church, I want to use the next two weeks to invite everybody to accept this challenge. I truly believe that God moves in our lives and God moves in the life of his churches when we pray and when we show, and here's the key word, it's going to be the word through the next two weeks, faithfulness. And so if you are here today and it's been a rough week or it's been a rough month or maybe it's been a rough year and you're saying, boy, I could sure use a B12 injection of faith, I hope the next two weeks will provide that. These next two weeks, we're going to look at faith, and we're going to look at through it through the life of Elisha. 
Not Elijah, but Elisha. And it's my hope that through this study, we can begin to continue to build our faith from where we bring it here today. So if you'll all look in your uh, Bibles to, pay, to 1 Kings 19, if you have your notes, I'm going to have you follow along with those as well. We're going to be in 1 Kings 19 today. Before we get to that, though, I want to see and show you how this foreshadowing comes to some important teachings of Jesus. And I'm going to read to you from Luke 16, 10 through 12. Jesus says this. He said, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? Now there is a very literal teaching to this as he is having this conversation with the Pharisees who he's talking to. But there's also some greater symbolism to this. And that is this and it's very clear. I've given you gifts and talents and treasures. Every one of us can hear that from God. I've given you talents and gifts and treasures. And if you use these gifts to share me and my example, and if you purpose your time and your treasure and your talents to serve others, I will bless you. If you can do something with a little, I'll just continue to accrue it more and more and more. That's a promise. And so what we're going to do today is help us help each other discover what are the ways that God blesses us and how can we turn around and use those blessings to further his kingdom. That's kind of where we're going with this. And we're going to work with Elisha through this and the example of faith that he shows. Because you see, Elisha wanted to be just like Elijah. And he had the boldness to actually seek out God and ask him for more faith and more faith capacity. A great exercise for the week, if you want to read the entire account in the book of of, um, 1 Kings, I really pray that you spend some time just rereading the faith of Elisha. I heard this this week, and I thought, wow, I didn't know that. Did you know that besides Jesus Christ himself, no one in Scripture has performed more miracles than Elisha? We're going to talk about one of them next week with the axe head, all right? But for now, I just want to focus you on who Elisha was. And what he chose to do. He was not the son of some spiritual giant. He didn't have some cultured upbringing that would have made him popular in the temple courts. He was the humble son of farming parents. He was a farmer himself at the moment where we see this transaction between him and Elijah. And so as we open up this scripture today, I want to show you 1 Kings 19, 19 through 21. This is a time when Israel is at a crossroads. The people of faith are trying to decide, do we follow God, the true God, or do we follow Baal? And so there is sort of a a, 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 a tug of war, if you will, between the souls and the faith of the people of Israel. And listen to what happens. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, 12 team of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen. Look what he does here. He left his oxen and he ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. 
what have I done to you? So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen, and notice what he does. He slaughters them. Good steak dinner that night, apparently, for a lot of people. He slaughters his oxen. And then he burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people, and they ate. And then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. Now, this is a pretty powerful story, right? He just, it's kind of like Coronado coming to conquer the Aztecs. Burn the ships. We're not turning back. I'm following you. Now, what's interesting, and I've got to be very careful here, I have to assume that everybody here understands farming illusions. Um, I work with a friend who's from Boston, Massachusetts. Before he moved to Iowa, he had no idea what the tasseling corn was. And even randomly now, all of a sudden, he'll stop and say, so why do you pull that tassel out of the top of the corn again? And, and as soon as I say cross-pollination, then we both get lost, and then we just kind of move on and forget about it. I, I can't explain it. I just did it for years. <laughs> but we have to do it. And I'm not very good at explaining it. But I want you to understand the illusion here. And it's pretty clear. Elisha is spending day after day pushing a plow. And right in front of that plow are 12 oxen. And he's guiding this plow. Now, I want you to stop and think for a second. What kind of view is that to work under? Pushing a plow with 12 big ox in front of you. And he's pushing and he's pushing. And day after day, can you imagine the monotony of the day? Can you imagine the monotony of every single day seeing that view every single day? Day in and day out. And I think there's a great way to connect that to our lives today. Because I got a feeling that every one of you, including me, has days where the monotony of our day or the stress of our day or just the energy that's zapped from our day just absolutely nails us, doesn't it? And we get tired, we get exhausted, we get tired of the sales quotas we might have to meet, we get tired of worrying about the weather if we're farming, we get tired of struggles with relationships that people who we work with or people who are surrounded by us. Maybe we have young children at home and we're taking care of little ones or we're taking care of an elderly parent, someone we love, and the days and the, and, and, and the hours just become stressful and they become monotonous and we begin to struggle with them. Just like we can imagine Elisha struggling behind the pushing of this plow day after day after day. And it's in that moment when Elijah comes he throws his cloak around him, which was probably like an animal skin, and he gives this to Elisha. And once he's covered in that, it's sort of like Elijah saying to me, what I'm covering you with is what I'm covered with. And what God is doing through me, he will do through you. And it's in the light of this monotony that Elisha takes a step out in faith. And he begins to say, not only will you use me here, God, and I want you to hear that loud and clear, in your daily monotony of the day that you have, don't ever forget that in every minute that you have that monotony, in every day that you live with that stress, when you seek God, he can take that monotony and he can use it for his purpose. Don't ever lose sight of that on the days when you really get stressed out. And right now, this is the time of year when a lot of people are stressed out. A buddy of mine can you imagine this job description, is responsible for the attendance of Sioux City East High School. And so guess what? Some kids don't come to school. And he told me in the month of May, he said, every day is like Groundhog Day. I wake up and I chase the same 50 kids around town trying to get them to school. Now that's a monotony. But he also sees in the monotony, because he's a strong Christ follower, he sees in the monotony of that day, even if he has an opportunity to impact 20 of those 50 kids with a word of encouragement, or, 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 or some framework of discipline, he knows his service to those kids is so important. 
Think about the things that stress you out. Think about the people that stress you out. Think about the monotonies of your days. And think about ways with a new view that God can use you. See, there's that promise that when I give you an opportunity, when I put you in a place for a reason, that you will use that. Because when you are faithful to me, when you use wherever I've placed you to proclaim me, to share, to serve, I will bless you. I will give you much. And maybe that's a simple prayer you need today. God, I'm really struggling. Life is monotonous. There are lots of stresses coming. God, I just need to hand this over. I need to have more faith that you can deliver me through this and you can give me opportunity through the monotony to serve and to share. So Elijah, in verse 19, throws his cloak around Elisha and he becomes what you might call a mentor to a student. And these are the two principles that I want to gain from this study this morning and I have them right there in your notes for you. If you go back to 1 Kings 19.20, notice what it says. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, and then I will come with you. Elisha says, I'm going to go, I'm going to take care of, of, of my family quickly, and then I'm going to come back and I'm ready. God's calling me to bigger things, he says, and I'm here I come, here I go. And sometimes when God calls us, he doesn't give us all the details. We sort of have to work our way through it as we go through. But we always come to an understanding of where God's leading us, the more faith we demonstrate. And so with one word, I truly believe, and it's happened in Scripture, and I think it happens in our daily lives when we're quiet enough to listen, that God can speak to us in a still, small voice. In different times in the Old Testament, it was Abraham and Moses who heard the word go. And Peter, when he's afraid to step out of the boat and walk on the water, what does, what's the one word that Jesus says? He says, come. And maybe for you, as you think about relationships that are broken in your life, one quiet word you may hear in prayer as you think and meditate and pray on this and read scripture on this, a word that might come to your mind is reconcile. Maybe you're holding on to past hurts and they're just bringing you down all the time. Maybe the word that comes to mind is forgive. You might have a marriage that's under duress right now, and the word might simply be at this moment in time, stay. Or you have a relationship with a coworker or a friend, and you're gaining that trust that we've talked about where you're just about ready to share your faith or have a faith or a scriptural conversation, and the simple word might be invite. Invite a conversation. Invite someone here to church. Maybe there's someone or somewhere who you know needs help immediately, and the word that comes to mind is serve. Or maybe you're here for the first time, and you've visited several other churches, and you're kind of figuring out where this all fits, and maybe a word that's going to come to your mind eventually is commit. Commit someplace and go. Or maybe you have extra resources, and there's something inside of you that's saying give. Or here's one I think we can all work with. You're struggling with some sin in your life. You're struggling with something that you are just getting dragged down by over and over again. And the simple word that keeps coming to mind, just repent. 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 We don't need to know all the details to serve God immediately. That's what I want to take from principle one. We don't need all the details to serve him immediately. We just need to obey. We need to have a heart that is willing to obey and a mind that is willing, and this is key, a mind that is willing to be quiet enough to listen to God's word and to listen to God's nudgings. Every one of us has a ministry when we leave 
this church this morning. Every one of us has a place where we have an opportunity to impact people for his kingdom. But if we don't quiet our minds, if we don't settle our hearts, we sometimes lose sight of that. And I'm going to get to that in just a moment. So that's key number one. Key number two comes out of 1 Corinthians 19.21. And that is that God uses the most. Those who God uses the most are the ones who hold on to the least. God uses the most of people, and they're the ones who are holding on to the least. I want, you to sh- I want to go back to 1921 again, because this is a really remarkable story of what Elisha does. Elisha left, that he came back, and then notice what he does to his oxen. He slaughters them. He burns the plying equipment, and he cooks the meat, gives it to the people, and he burns everything, and he moves from it. I've got a question for you this morning. Is there a plow that you need to burn in your life? Is there a plow you need to burn? You see, this plow is not only a literal plow that he does this with, but it's also symbolic because it's what he's holding on to that is keeping him from seeing a different view than staring at the back of 12 ox every day. He's holding on to that, or maybe better yet, that plow is holding on to him. And he's got to let it go, and the only way he can let it go is to completely annihilate it and get it away from him. Something you are still holding on to could be something that is gripping your life and it's keeping you from a deeper relationship with God. And that, quite honestly, could be something as tangible as sin. And I want to go back to Galatians 5.22. It's that verse that I just want us all to commit to our hearts, where Paul writes that the fruits of the Spirit are love and joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And he says, against all things, there is no such law. You see, when Paul describes the fruits of the Spirit, he's describing life the way that we are intended to live as Christ followers. He intends us to live this way. But when we are disconnected from God's Word, when we're disconnected from Christian community, when we're disconnected in our prayer life, what are we prone to? Well, we're prone to our own human devices. And so we choose fear instead of love. Or we choose anger instead of joy. We enjoy conflict and pot stirring more than having peace. We are impulsive instead of showing self-control. We become bitter instead of showing kindness. We get impatient instead of showing self-control. Here's my question. Are any of these plows that you need to burn? Are any of these things that you're holding on to because it's an issue of control? And so they're either gripping you or you're gripping them. I want to tell you about, quickly about a friend of mine. Um, doesn't live here. None of you know him. But he told me, because we live in a world with smartphones, and everybody has a smartphone, right, where you get all your data and you get your email and Internet and all of that. He has one of those old flip phones. And the question comes up, well, why do you still have a flip phone? And he was very candid about it. He said, I have struggled with pornography my whole life. And it's to the point where I knew that it could have destroyed everything I had. It was that kind of an addiction. And so he said, because of that, I have burned, he didn't say this, I'm I'm quoting it from, from the illustration here, but in a sense, he's burning that plow. He's not going to open himself up to the temptation of having a smartphone where he doesn't have any place to block. He can block his computer. He's set up all these things to keep him from those temptations. But he says, my phone's a different story, and it's just easier to have a flip phone. 
It's easier for me not to even have that temptation. In his mind and in his way, that was one way for him to sort of burn the plow that was gripping him. And maybe you have a plow, too, that's buried deep in the ground, and it's holding you back from the life that God is intending you to live. Take a look at that list again. Maybe it's something you're afraid of. Maybe it's something you're angry about. Maybe it's something that you are in constant conflict about or people you're in conflict with. Maybe it's impulsiveness. You just can't control certain things. Or you have bitterness that's built up. Or you simply don't have self-control. Whatever that plow is, I'm going to ask you the challenge today. Do you have the kind of faith where you can bring that to God in prayer and say, God, I need you to help me burn this plow? Because this plow is dragging me. It's keeping me from running my best life because it's holding me back. It's holding me back from who you have intended for me to be. Now that plow could come from sin, but it could also come from a couple of other things that we don't necessarily think are sin, but they can complicate our lives. Sometimes that plow might be our need to please everyone, which you may argue is a sin, because you can't serve all these masters, but you have a need to want to please everyone. Or you have a need that you always have to be in control. I want you to just do some honest analysis this week. Do I struggle with any of these things? Because it could very well be that the stress of that is a plow that you need to burn. Because it's keeping you from living the best life that God intends you to live. We are to hold on to all things loosely except our faith. Tomorrow, um, I'm going to close with this. Tomorrow, I am going to be attending a funeral of a very dear friend, uh, a man who was a mentor to me. You might have read about him this week in the paper. He was a, a longtime superintendent at Woodbury Central. His name was Tom Cooper. And Tom had been at Woodbury Central for 20 years. Previously, he had been at other schools, but he, he gave his whole life to, to serving kids. And Tom was one of the first people who really impacted me when, when I went into that line of work. And what I remember about Tom most of all, about the first time he ever called me, was right before my first year, and it was winter was coming, and he said, Jeff, I'm just calling you because let's try to keep in touch with each other. When bad weather comes in the morning or afternoon, you're not on an island. Let's make these decisions together so we don't get caught, one school doing this and one school doing that, and then one of us looks like we don't know what we're doing. He'd been doing this for 20 years. He didn't have to reach out to me, but he did. And he reached out to me because he cared about me, even though he didn't know me very well. And so we forged this friendship where I could count on his encouragement and I could also count on his guidance. And that's the way he lived his life, and that's what he did. But here's what I didn't know. Because he always had this calm and this peace and this joy about him, even though these jobs are very stressful. He just had a peace about him. I didn't know that a few years before, he lost his wife to ALS. And if you're not familiar with what Lou Gehrig's disease or ALS is, it's one of the most debilitating, one of the most awful things you can watch someone you love go through. He lost his wife to ALS, and within a couple years after that, he lost one of his sons to a car accident. And he could have chosen bitterness. He could have chosen, and I'm not saying he wasn't deeply hurt. I'm not saying he didn't go through deep grieving. But even through the struggles and the trials of life, he always had a sense of peace he always had a sense of purpose, and he always had a sense of thankfulness. And he didn't have to tell me about it. He didn't have to explain it to me. I saw it in him every single time he reached out to me to care about me. And I can only imagine that's what he did to everyone around him. And I don't mean to eulogize him for his sake. I'm giving you this example. 
because at some point in his life, his faith dictated to him that I'm going to live a life of joy. I'm at peace with the God who created me. I'm at peace with my faith, and I'm going to spend every day on this earth living for Jesus. And he did. And so you know what he does? He starts a golf tournament to raise money to help kids with scholarships, to help them go to school. And he does this year after year after year, and he does this to preserve the memory of his wife, and he did this to preserve the memory of his son. And so on Wednesday night, when they had their awards ceremony, and he personally handed out thousands of dollars worth of scholarships, Tom left the stage. Um, He went back to what was his old office for a moment, and unexpectedly had a heart attack, and he died that night. And as tough as that was to hear, and as painful as that is to lose somebody that you care about, I know this, if he had one choice of what to be doing the moment when Jesus brought him home, it would be helping kids. I know that. And I shared that with one of our other colleagues. That's where he was supposed to be. That's what he was supposed to be doing. And he made those choices, I know, because he carried a deep, deep sense of faith in Christ. And it helped him overcome so many struggles. But more than that, it also helped him be a mentor and a leader to some green leaf like me 11 years ago. So my challenge for you again this morning is this. What is your current view? What are you seeing? Do you see nothing but oxes in front of you? Or do you have the courage to step out in faith and say, God, help me see beyond the oxes? And number two, just like Elisha, let me ask you this. Do you have any plows that you need to burn? Because they're holding you back. That's exactly what a plow does. I could argue that I had a plow when I used to run 400s behind me. It holds you back from going at your full capacity. What are the plows you need to burn? What is holding you back? You see, I believe this more than anything. Faith has to be exercised to stay strong, doesn't it? We're talking about faith. We're going to talk about faith at an even deeper level next week. Faith has to be exercised for it to stay strong. It's no different than our bodies. And there are three ways that we can exercise our faith. We exercise our faith by reading God's Word diligently, prayerfully, quietly, without any distraction. We read God's Word. The second way to exercise our faith is to pray with the same mindset, quietly, humbly, without any distraction. We have to make that time with God. And the third thing that we have to do is we need to be committed to living in a community, living in community with each other, because it is each other who sharpens us. It's each other who encourages us. It's each other who helps grow us. And we need each other. Because when we are connected here, we're that much stronger when we go out there to people who need to hear the gospel message. But we have to start with us. And we have to have enough faith that God has a purpose in our life that we may not see past the oxen today, but maybe through God's guidance, maybe through prayer, he can show us why he has us here and what he needs us to do. And that's my challenge this week. I believe that when we reach to a point that Elisha does, when we finally say we're letting go of some of the views that we've allowed ourselves to have in this life, the doors will begin to open. And opportunities are going to come for us to live with these very fruits of the Spirit that I've been hammering on over and over again. 
I want to live my life by those principles. I want to have love and peace and joy. But I don't get there by myself. I get there the more connected I am to God's word and my prayer life with him. I want us to reach a point where we have a capacity to love people the same way that Jesus loved us when he died for us. And I want us all to live with a clear purpose that brings us joy and fulfillment. That's what Elisha did. He got tired of his view, and so he changed his view a little bit. And we're going to learn some of the things that he does from that view next week because it's amazing how he's used. I want to give you this encouragement as I close this in prayer today. God is using and will use and can continue to use every single person in this church today. In fact, we have a responsibility to be obedient to that calling wherever he places us, whatever he places us to do. Earnestly, prayerfully consider how you need to change your view if you do and earnestly pray, are there any plows I got to burn this week? And we'll see what happens next week as we continue in this, uh, in this study of Elisha. Will you join me in prayer? Father God, we are just so thankful for, for your word, for your love, for your blessings. We're thankful for Jesus who came, who sacrificed uh, on the behalf of all of our sins, who died on a cross for us. And Father, we just thank you that you loved us enough to send him instead of turning us away. Dan mentioned in the, in the communion meditation, there's really nothing that we, there's absolutely nothing that we do that deserves your favor. But it is your love for us and the atoning death of Jesus that connects the bridge that kept us apart from you, that our sin keeps apart from you. And so this week, Father, I just pray that each of us can just continue to prayerfully consider what plows do we have to burn? What things do we have a grip on or what things have a grip on us that we need to let go of or get undone from the clutches of? And Father, help us each appreciate and understand that the place you have us right now has a view that has an opportunity for us to invite, to share, and to serve. We do that with our words, but more importantly, Father, we gotta do it with our actions. Help us appreciate the view you've given us today and help us impact your world in the week ahead by our interactions with everyone we come across. And it's in Jesus' name I pray all of this. Amen.